Cheerscast is part of the Fire and Water Network. You bellowed? Yeah, yeah I did. Uh, what are you trying to do? I don't believe that guy's a spy for one minute. I think he's lying. What? A customer in a bar is uh, telling tall tales just to impress a cocktail waitress? Call 60 Minutes. Put it that way. Thing is... Look, listen. Why do you suppose people come to bars in the first place, huh? Oh, let me take a wild stab at that one. Perchance to drink? Wrong. Wrong. They could do that at home. They come here to shoot off their mouths and uh, to get away with it. Listen, in this bar, everybody gets to be a hero. Now, what's the harm? Sam, any kind of lie is eventually destructive. I was raised and educated to prize truth above all else. This, from a woman wearing rubber eyelashes and a padded bra. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see. Our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. Hello and welcome back to Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm Ryan Daly and my guest is making his first appearance since we covered the pilot episode. Uh, Since then, he's been flirting with all of those Bulgarian women in Ankara. (laughs) He is the host of MASHcast and many other shows on the Fire and Water Network. Rob Kelly, everyone. What is up, Rob? Hi, Ryan. I'm glad to be back on the show. I've been enjoying it very much. Now, I have to let you know, I never left. Uh, I've been (laughs) in Melville's the whole time. Oh, you were just Uh, upstairs. (laughs) Yeah, even though they're a seafood restaurant, I'm, of course, a vegetarian, but their veggie wrap is quite good. So uh, I'm glad to be invited back downstairs. Good, good, good. I thought you might be sweeping for bugs. Um, well, you, you've been on the show before, like we said, and you told your Cheers origin story, so let's get right into this episode. What do you say? Absolutely. All right. Season 1, Episode 12 is called The Spy Who Came In for a Cold One. It is written by David Lloyd, directed by James Burroughs. The original air date was Thursday, December 16th, 1982. A stranger named Eric Finch comes to Cheers and convinces Carla that he's a British spy. Everyone is keen to indulge the absurd fantasy. That is, everyone but Diane. She points out his lies and shames him into telling the truth and leaving in disgrace. Later, though, Eric returns and claims that he's a writer who merely got carried away. Diane's interest is piqued when he says he specializes in verse and recites one of his poems for her. When Diane tries to share Eric's poetry with a publisher, the coach, of all people, exposes that Eric's poetry is as fraudulent as his MI6 credentials. Twice proven a liar, Eric then alleges that he's filthy rich and offers to buy Cheers from Sam for $2 million. In disgust, Diane rips the check to shreds, 
but the final joke is on her, as Eric is proven to be the eccentric millionaire that he claimed to be. So, Rob, what did you think of this uh, Christmas episode, as it turns out to be? I love this. I think this is one of their best episodes of the first season, certainly um, maybe even the entire series, for a bunch of reasons. It's very funny. It's got some great turns that you don't expect. I mean, it has like four major turns in 22 minutes. It, it uses the characters very effectively, but I think the the main reason I like about it Cheers during the first season and then a little bit into the second would do these like short story episodes where it was like a little like um, like a little play in just 22 minutes. And I remember reading um, one of the many interviews that uh, James Burroughs did about Cheers. And he said that when he got handed the first script, the pilot script, he realized he I think he said he said it to his wife that this was a radio script. Mm. And he's like, the boys wrote a radio script. It's just guys sitting around talking. There's not a lot of action. And I could absolutely picture this story as like a radio drama, you know, Lux Radio Theater or or a short story in like Collier's or the Saturday (laughs) Evening Post or Playboy. Like, I feel like in 1982, this style of Cheers storytelling is going way, way back into pop culture history and and sort of just it almost doesn't matter that it takes place in cheers it's just this little short story i can't think of a better term for it than that and i i love all their short story episodes but this one is really clever i and on top of it it's really really funny yeah i mentioned the same thing on the previous episode that you write like in some of the early season episodes like season one in particular they really kind of embraced that sometimes they would just tell these little short episodes that allowed a fresh, strange character to come into the bar and just show how that character affected the people in the bar or how the bar affected that people. Like back in episode 11, we saw the effect that Cheers had on Buzz and Kevin, the would-be monk. Uh, and in this one, you see how the stranger, Eric Finch, kind of disrupts the, the bar. And they really could get away with that because... You know, at this early on in the game, it was really just the Sam and Diane will they, won't they relationship that they played out over the long form. Once you get into later season episodes, then, okay, you've got your A plot with Sam and Diane or Sam and Rebecca, and then Frazier's got to be doing something, and Norman Cliff have got to be doing something. Right, right. And everybody, they, they needed to give more meat to all of the, the expanding regular cast. But in these episodes, you can really have a guest come in and just kind of take over and. Eric Finch absolutely does that, and he's played by an actor named Ellis Rabb, or Rob, who I, I looked him up. He only has seven IMDb credits. Right. And um, this is one of the last things he ever did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he, I mean, he was on, like, St. Elsewhere in the Waltons. He was definitely much more of a stage actor. But And, and actually, I, a little bit of trivia for some of our comic book fans. Uh, he was married to the actress Rosemary Harris, who played Aunt May in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. Right, right. Yeah. She has a connection to Cheers as well. Do you know what that is outside of being married to Alice Robb? Uh, no, I don't know off the top of my head if I do know. She was the acting teacher of Kelsey Grammer when he was a young actor. He mentions her in the Simpsons commentary he does for one of the Sideshow Bob episodes. He talks oh. about that he learned under Rosemary Harris. So so there you go. There's the, she, she's connected to Cheers in two different ways. Oh, wow. I don't think I ever knew that. No, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but anyway, so going back to this guy, Ellis Rob, um, who plays Eric Finch, as soon as he walks in, it's like everybody just kind of turns and looks at him because he has this, <laughs> this, the, 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 I don't know how you, like, 
if you wanted to try and be as obvious as possible about looking inconspicuous. Right, it's loud quiet. It's loud quiet. Perfect, perfect. He walks in, he's got like a jacket thrown over his like shoulder like a scarf or whatever. He's got sunglasses on. It's like he's smoking the cigarette and he's just like makes this big showy entrance about checking all of like the corners and looking underneath and the coach and Cliff and everybody's just staring at him and Carla's like, who the hell is this guy? Uh, and it's just such a wonderful opening that right from the get-go, you're, you're into who is this guy and what is he going to do this episode. It had to be a fun gig for, for Ellis Robb because Ellis Robb is playing a character who is a bad actor. Mm-hmm. So Ellis Robb really gets to swing for the fences and do these long kind of, you know, I'm looking for, you know, she's where um, Carla talks about, if you're looking for gum under the table, I can get your fresh <laughs> piece. And he's like, no, I'm checking for microphones. Like, <laughs> yes. He's so dramatic. Like you'd, In another universe, you could picture like Vincent Price playing oh, exactly. this part, like just – just absolutely swinging for the fences. And so I would imagine if you're an actor, it's fun to play a bad actor because you can just indulge yourself in all your hamminess. And more than that, I would argue that he's kind of, he plays multiple parts in this, like the, the same character, like because who he is when he comes back the second time as the poet or the, the unpublished writer or whatever, Sad he's part, completely yeah. different. He is at a completely different register. His mannerisms, he's like kind of nebbish and meek and everything like that. It's very, very different. And then his eccentric millionaire, Hilliard III or whatever at the end that he calls himself, is so different. It's such a meaty performance that, yeah, as a stage guy to just walk on for 20 minutes and play three different characters in that time is, oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, but it's a plum role. I imagine mm-hmm. if you were handed this, you were just like, man, I can I can sink my teeth into this so bad. And on top of it, of course, he's doing a riff on Richard Burton from The Spy Who Came From the Cold, the mm-hmm. John Lacare, the movie based on the John Lacare novel. So he's even getting you to kind of like be a little Richard burton too, just kind of these very big theatrical kind of flourishes. And that had to be fun, too, to kind of like maybe you know, take the piss out of Richard Burton because he's right. one, one of the great stage actors of all time. So here Alice Robb is getting to play the TV version of that. Mm-hmm. And so he first sits down and he charms Carla. He woos her. He's like, she's like, oh, yeah. And he's like an exotic woman like you. It's like we have a saying about, you know, Neapolitan women. It's like falling in love with one is like forgetting to burn your code book. Oh, dear. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I, how could I have said such a thing? And she's like, you're a spy. She's like, why are you facing the back? He's like, because I can see the door in your eyes. And like, totally charms her. And then she runs back to the bar and tells everybody else. She's like, he said, I'm beautiful. And Diane's like, well, they're trained to lie. So. <laughs> but then, of course, once the once the gang goes back there and Norman Cliffster, like, asking him all these questions and everything, and he just kind of tells these stories and he makes these things up. Like, all, all of the, like, lies that he's just going to make it, like, he was captured by the dreaded R-E- RBP or something like that. And Cliff's like, the Ribbler. <laughs> yeah, the, I, thought, I love that. The Ribbler. Oh, no, the Ribbler. Yeah, and I also, I, I love the idea that he's not expecting someone like Diane to be there because mm-hmm. he figures he can tell all these lies. Right. And no one will know. I mean, I, I as I was listening to rewatching this episode and going through all the stories he's telling, like I didn't know most of the stuff that he was saying was wrong, except for the bit about what I think Sweden and their totalitarian regime. Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute, that's not right. No, yeah. Come on. yeah, really, yeah. The, like the different, the kind of like currency and everything. Like it certainly seems like he's met his match. But something else occurred to me when I was watching it in preparation for this episode. Something that I never really thought of. I think when he comes back the second time, it just, I don't know why this didn't occur to me. I think he comes back the second time deliberately 
to prank Diane. Like she is his target. It's not just like he's like, oh, I want to, I want another chance at like fooling these rubes and playing my little games. I think he goes back there to destroy her. And I think the reason for that is because before he leaves, uh, like when she's like calling him out on his lies, Carla says, you majored in poetry. You don't know all these things like about like history or geopolitics or things like that. He, so he knows who Diane is. He knows what her specialty is. And he comes back and says he's a writer that specializes in verse. And that's when she perks up. So he must have just had those two poems memorized because I think he came back saying, I'm going to, I'm, it's like she busted me. I'm going to get my revenge on her. So yeah, just like in this, in like a matter of like two minutes, he reinvents himself as this different character for the second attack. And it's really just kind of like a fascinating thing by this guy. Do you think that he is actually a millionaire? Like, or do you think that's another role that he's playing? And this guy's some sort of like Andy Kaufman esque. <laughs> like re- reality kind of bending comedian or something like do you think that check was real i don't, i get the sense that check was not real it's it's kind of hard to yeah i i don't believe that he ever really intended to buy the bar from sam maybe he just had a friend dress up as a chauffeur the the chauffeur by the way is uh played by robert evan collins who made his debut in raging bull according to imdb um and then this episode of cheers he only has like five other credits um interesting there are a lot of uh, there are like three guest stars in this episode that didn't have a lot of uh, TV credits because the only other one is there's a sailor in the tea in the teaser to this episode, yep, which is great. Yep. Um, the sailor is played by a guy named Kurt Woodruff. This is his first IMDb credit, uh, and then appeared in a few movies and TV, but nothing major. Um, and that was kind of surprising me because I just like just to look at the sailor in just a few seconds. I was like, he's a good-looking guy, and I kind of liked his sort of naturalistic acting like approach like the way he just kind of like reacts to what norm is saying and doing and everything i was like it surprises me that that guy didn't get more work it just seems like kind of had the classic good guy tv looks but acting's know. a tough gig yeah yeah you mentioned raging bull you know who else is in raging bull uh was it rosemary harris nicholas colasanto oh gosh who did he play in Raging Bull? I don't even remember. I, I forget. I haven't seen Raging Bull in a long time, but he is in Raging Bull. So, I didn't. Yeah. Even, oh gosh, I didn't even remember yep. that. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I, I don't. I don't know. Part of part of me thinks that he wasn't really the, the millionaire or whatever. I, I either way, I don't think he was ever intent on buying the bar. I think that was like his final like joke is that he knew Diane would just tear the check up or they would destroy it because they wouldn't believe him. So right. they could get the final little little punch and little dig at them. The reason I thought that he isn't a real that it's fake is then when he's writing the checkout for a million dollars and uh, Carla's like, you forgot about the jukebox, Sam. He goes, oh, yeah, the jukebox, $2 million. <laughs> and you get the sense that he's that he wrote the check for $2 million, And you're like, no real businessman would pay an extra million dollars <laughs> right. as a goof. You know, like, no matter, no matter how wealthy he is. So I was like, this is fake. He's just He could write $10 gajillion on the check. It doesn't matter. It's not real anyway. So I get the sense that this guy, for whatever reason, is some bizarre performance artist and just decided to come in and mess with the local townies and mm-hmm. that, that happened to be cheers that he walked into right right um and he's definitely good at it. like his his closing monologue at the very end when she shames him and he's just like you know sometimes in a friendly bar people will allow me to pretend like i'm interesting it's like but you're too clever for that 
and she's just kind of like leveled and, and, and ashamed. And then he comes back and gives her the tip. Um, and she's like, I cannot which, feel any lower than I do right now. And he gives her the tip, which just kills her. And then he says, Merry Christmas, which I think just <laughs> burns the ashes. <laughs> it's all, oh, man, it's, it's so good. But everybody is really good. And I, the funny thing is, like, I kind of and, – and this has been pointed out on, in previous episodes of this podcast is I think Sam is a lot smarter in, this, in these early yes. episodes than he appears. He at least Absolutely. has the more street smarts because Sam is on to his con the second time around He's too. got a great insight in this episode. Yeah. That's one of my favorite moments from Sam because he, he actually outthinks Diane. Yeah. This, he's in his element. I, I love that moment. Yeah, when she comes back and she's ready to call the, the publisher of the Atlantic to get her to like to do these like poems, to read these poems and everything. And he's like, whoa, 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 aren't you getting carried away? A minute ago you knew this guy wasn't spy. She's like, no, no, this is my area. He's like, he memorized a poem. So what? And she is so like quick to dismiss that. And it's like, Sam knows. Sam has been around enough time to see this like he he's just changed his act but he's still an act so yeah well it's actually the bit before that that i like is where he says to her why do you think people come to bars yeah she says to drink and he goes no they can do that at home they come here to sort of shoot their mouths off and i'm like that's a really good insight because that the i can't remember the first time i watched this episode probably watched it live when it aired Mm -hmm. but when i rewatched them my answer would have been to drink, yeah. but then, then when then when Sam says no 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 people can do that at home like that's a really astute observation and I like that about Sam I like that Diane yes she's obviously much smarter than Sam but she doesn't know everything about everything he's right. he's in his element I always thought that was such a great moment for the character right there's he's he's a more more of a sort of has a kind of populist wisdom of actually yeah. knowing the people yeah. and and sort of that that world um, where she is too educated too erudite for her own good but yeah she gets in her own way i also yeah. like sam's nike shirt by the way oh, it's a great shirt <laughs> <laughs> yeah he looks good in this one um but yeah all, all the others like you know coach just has a few lines talking about like francis the talking pig um uh, carla like this is like they I, I mentioned this a couple episodes ago they finally found who carla is she's not overplaying it her lines at the beginning are really really good and she's like you're from england aren't you he's like yeah how'd you guess she's like well because you sound smart even when you're saying stupid things <laughs> that was good. hard to believe she doesn't make more money as a waitress than <laughs> the way she does these things yeah um and then like going around the horn like other i thought Cliff was so funny in this episode with just a few little moments when Norman Cliff go up to like to talk to uh to uh Eric Finchin and kind of like just they, Norm kind of like pushes him and Cliff has this very childish like gesticulations like the way he moves his arms when he kind of like walks up to him or whatever like to he's like don't push me don't push me and he's like I'll I'll do it I'll ask him and then he brings up the the whole like asking him if he's a spy and everything, and just it's great. And then when they're talking about the the dread, the smartest animal, and then just his answer is like when he's talking about or when Eric is in Romania and he's captured by the RPB and Cliff's like, "Ooh, the ribla!" I, just I love, love just the way he says that. That's fantastic. I also like that there's a third barfly, yeah, who's kind of in the background. That's Jack Knight, the yeah. actor named Jack Knight. He's still in stuff now. He was in Moneyball. He's one of the umpires in Moneyball. Oh, yeah. So I love the idea that like. It's kind of like this stuff I've been getting into on MASHcast plug mm-hmm. where in the early episodes, like there's more of the gang. Right. It's like a bigger group of people that are behind Hawkeye and Trapper in any given moment. And on Cheers, obviously throughout the years, they would have more and more bar flies. But I like there's that one guy 
who's just kind of behind them, and he's not really part of the gang because he doesn't say anything, but yet right. he's doing the same shtick that Norman and Cliff are doing, too. So they, they're always trying to, like, figure out, like, okay, how big is the Barfly contingent? Yeah, uh, he's, the, given he's the tertiary bar, Barfly, yeah. tertiary yeah. Barfly, yeah. What did you what did you think of the teaser of this episode? And I, I kind of, like, skipped it in the synopsis, but the teaser is Norm walks in, does his whole shtick, and he mentions that he and his wife are going to get away. They're going to go out to some, you know, cottage in Maine for the weekend. It's going to be a nice, romantic, secluded place. Norm is sticking around because he has to do, or he's meeting somebody for, like, a job interview, which is a nice bit of continuity because he was fired earlier in the right, season. Right, right. Um, so he says he's going to go up there and meet, and he's like, it's just, you know, no television, one radio station, all alone, everything. And as he's kind of describing it, Diane's like, wow, that sounds perfectly romantic. And he's, you just see him losing the flavor for it, just more and more. <laughs> and then the sailor walks up, he's like, where can a guy go for a good bit of action? And Norm just hands him the directions to his <laughs> wife's cottage. And Sam has to be like, Norm, come on. He's like, no, 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 I couldn't do that to the Navy. I can't do that to the Navy, yeah. <laughs> Don't they establish later on that Norm was in the Merchant Marines? Isn't that a thing? Don't He's, they talk about that? Yeah, it was actually it was the last episode in episode eleven. He said that he was. In the oh, army. really? Does he? Oh, that. Well, early. he said okay. he he said he was in the army, and then that later that is contradicted because in a later season episode he says that he served in the Coast Guard. The Coast Guard. Okay, yeah. all right. It's close. I was like, how did he ever get in the army with that? Was he always that big? <laughs> yeah. I don't think you're allow people like that. No, it's a really funny. But his that's a, it's a great setup punchline. You know, you could just see the guy coming and. He hands him the it's very classically constructed so yeah it's very very funny i, I you know the, george went was just perfect for that part i mean i knew that um they really went for they really wanted him and you could and you know we all know the stories about that uh, john ratzenberger applied for it because they were considering ratzenberger because they weren't sure they were going to be able to get george went yeah but i mean they just knew he was just the perfect guy because he just has that hangdog delivery that can deliver these jokes that you know would they fly now making fun of your wife to that level not really but in the 80s we were still kind of in the henny youngman kind of take my mm-hmm. wife please thing and they just work because you again you know george went has an inherent sweetness in his delivery and the way he walks his sort of constantly put upon persona that there's no meanness behind it and that's what makes it palatable right and i think that will that will save him uh in a few episodes from now when uh when his behavior is a little bit harder to take in the modern context. Right. Um, we'll get to that uh, in a couple of episodes. But, um, uh, yeah, just a, a few other little notes. Um, it is mentioned again, Diane has majored in poetry, psychology, literature, French, art history, anthropology, and Indian studies. Um, not psychology, she says, and not Manchurian <laughs> folk dancing or something. Folk dancing, yeah. I like that they all know it by now. Like, yeah, they're familiar they, with they her history. It. Like, they've, they've, they've incorporated her backstory into their life, and they think it's funny. Like, they, they'll enjoy that. <laughs> yeah. Um, a few little bits of, uh, trivia. It's, it's a little known fact. Uh, the real name for the Cheers bar, uh, the exterior that it always showed kind of outside or what the bar was based on. Um, is the Bull and Finch. At least it used to be. I, I think it's actually now called Cheers. Like, if you go there, I think it has been renamed. But the original bar that it was based on was called the Bull and Finch. They said that Eric Finch was named in honor of the bar's real name. So, oh, okay. Wow. I never even would have thought of that, but that makes sense. Yeah. 
and then a little bit of other trivia. Eric recites two poems in this episode. Uh, the first poem that he recites to Diane, She I Love, Alas in Vain, is by Walter Savage Landor. It was written, I think, in the 1700s. Uh, and then the second poem he recites that Coach recognizes is A Birthday by Christina Rossetti. Um, and spoiler alert, Lilith Crane will dress as Christina Rossetti for Halloween in a future Oh, wow. Episode. I remember that one. Yep. Yeah. Oh, wow. Jeez, <laughs> yeah. I never heard of her. That's cool. Yeah. Frederick goes as Spider-Man and <laughs> Fraser and Lilith go as Dr. Gabriel Rossetti and his wife and his sister Christina. But – uh, for Norm's tab, I I was looking at this one closely. I think he only had three beers in this episode because uh, I think this episode actually takes place in a much more contained, slight time frame. Um, and, and part of that was like, as you point out, how it's just like a little short story. It could have been a short little radio play. Um, yeah. But I yeah. think he I think he only had three different beers, um, which takes him up to sixty six for the series so far. He moves around a lot in this one. Like he doesn't have yeah. – he's not sitting at the on the stool as much. He's actually over on one side and then the other side and then he's interacting with Finch. So I guess he doesn't have much chance to carry the beer around and get it get it mm-hmm. sloshed over on people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, before we get into the superlatives, uh, this is a really, really fun episode. Um, we're kind of like in, in a stretcher where I, I really like these episodes and they're always jogging. Um, of the 12 so far – this is close to the number one. Uh, I'm not sure if it's my favorite that we've we've seen, but it's really close. It's really high up there. Um, I don't know. What do you think? I, it's probably my favorite other than the pilot of mm-hmm. this arc because, like I said, I'm really – I'm so charmed by the old-timey style of this episode and these other ones. The, the boys in the uh, the boys in the bar that, that you'll get to, that's another kind of just like an issue. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like somebody else comes in. I mean you think about it too when you when you – go back and you watch these episodes in such granular detail what a perfect setup Mm -hmm. cheers has for a sitcom because you can always have new people walk in yeah and it gives you endless story possibilities and i wish they had continued i i understand why they didn't as the sam and diane romance really took off but it's a shame that they didn't keep doing these like every so often to just kind of have these little damon (laughs) runyon-esque stories i mean later on the the one with uh, harry the hat Yep. Um, but the the poker game that one is really like that one that one's like a guys and dolls thing. Yeah. So yeah. I really love those, and it, you you really don't necessarily know what year this episode takes place in. I mean, it could. I mean, other than Sam's Nike shirt, which, which suggests nineteen eighties, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like it really is kind of out of time, and with a minor adjustment, you could have written it in nineteen forty. And it probably would work relatively the same. Mm. Uh, you'd have to change the poet, not John Updike. I don't believe for one moment, <laughs> by the way, that Diane would interrupt somebody talking to John Updike. <laughs> like that, she would not do that. That that's crazy. I mean, yeah, she that's... knows who John Updike is. I also love the idea that they don't explain who John Updike is, and they, the writers of Cheers, expect the viewers, us, to know who John Updike is and why that's a big deal. That would not pass muster nowadays. You would have some 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 TV executive would be like, nobody knows who that is. Change it to, you know, the the Fifty Shades of Grey Lady. You know what I mean? Like they would dumb yeah. it down as best they could. But the Cheers writers are assuming you know who John Updike is and why that's a big deal. I like that. Or, or even if they don't, like you can just tell from the characters' interactions, from the way Diane plays it, that it's a big deal. That's true. Like, yeah, she, even she's if, even if the audience doesn't know – well, just from reading the context of how Diane hears it and interprets it, okay, that guy must be a really big deal in the literary community. 
I, I think they, the writers at least trusted themselves and trusted the audience that much to know that, you know, if we sell this, we don't, we don't have to over-explain this. So. That's true. Shelley Long can sell anything pretty yeah. much, so I can understand that, yeah. Yeah. One of the guys from uh, the podcast Jeff and Rick Presents, which currently is Jeff and Rick Presents the Unpacking the Power of the Power Pack, which is a podcast that packs a lot of power in its title. Um, the, wow. Those guys actually requested that I do a, a ranking of all of the episodes, uh, every episode. Like I kind of like show where the episode comes in the ranking. Uh, and I've said, I'm not going to rank them each time I get to the episode. Um, but at the end of every season... I will go through a ranking of that season episodes, and I will try to update it to, to be current to keep all of them. So by the end of this podcast, if and when it is completed, I will have the ranking of all 275 episodes. In Whoa! That is, that is the plan. Um, and it, so right now it feels easy because I, I can watch these again and again. Um, but yeah, so for now, uh, this one, The Spy Who Came In for the Cold One, is pretty pretty close up to there to the top. Um, so, uh, let's, uh, get ready to wrap things up, but we have our, uh, our final categories. Rob, who did you think was the employee of the week? Who was the best or funniest performance? I would probably, you'd have to give it to Shelley Long. I mean, I, I, cause she just gets the heavy lifting kind of to do in this one over the, she's, she just, you know, despises him and then she's enamored by him. And I, I like that the cheers writers are willing to show that she's got feet of clay too. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, clearly she's smarter than everybody else, but she's got her own blind spots. Uh, I love all that stuff. I just think that it's, it's great that she gets, keeps, he's kind of one upping her at every turn because she just gets in her own way. And, you know, you know, in this episode, we just talk about that. She knows she knows someone who knows John Updike, <laughs> right? And there in later episodes, they will talk about where she is clearly hanging with people that are kind of like above her social station. Mm. Um, that there's the Thanksgiving episode where she gets to go to a dinner with William Styron. <laughs> and like you get the idea of like, well, how – why can't Diane get a better gig if she's around all these really well-heeled famous people? And I think the reason is because Diane gets in her own way. Mm. Diane is really smart, but Diane has so many flaws that screws that up for herself, which is why she kind of kind of can't take advantage of traveling in these circles. And I know people like that. There are people who I know of who like kind of travel in these big circles and yet they're kind of always on the periphery because I think they kind of get in their own way, too. And I think that's a very interesting observation. And it's subtle because they don't. They don't really ever point it out, but it's it's like later on in that the, the season the, the season ender number two I think it is where they get into the fight and like right. they, it breaks down to like an actual like twisting of each other's noses <laughs> and it's like there's Diane sinking to Sam's level and I, <laughs> I that makes Diane incredibly well rounded character I think one of the more unique characters on TV so I really would have to give it to her I definitely think she's blacklisted from the Atlantic Monthly or whatever oh was. yeah oh you interrupted I, yeah. I I would be so mad at that at her. For, for interrupting my phone call, my, yeah. my talk with John Updike. Yeah, just so to hear some stranger up. recite a plagiarized poem. Yeah, that yeah. would be... And by the way, that is my favorite moment of this. You didn't ask that, but my favorite moment is when Coach comes in <laughs> reciting the poem because to that point, he'd been not been in the show that much. Right. And I think it's kind of a nice structural to kind of almost make you forget that he's there and then bring him in for like that whammy. Mm -hmm. Because you're like, whoa, wait wait a minute. How can Coach know this poem? I think that's structurally to leave him out almost completely out of the first half 
to sort of save it up is, I think, really well mm-hmm. well structured uh, screen screenwriting. Yeah. Uh, you made a, a really strong case for for Shelley Long. Um, I I think uh, Ellis Rab as Eric Finch, the fact that he's playing so many different parts, <laughs> so painfully obvious in the first one as this this spy who's not a spy, like the bad actor. Um, as you say, and then like this very kind of like meek and, and soft spoken poet, um, and then just like the the uh, like the arrogant, the haughty arrogance at the end, the final turn, and everything. I just oh, I, I really liked him. Um, my, my runner up though, I kind of hinted at my runner up for this one was Cliff, um, and it's because Cliff gets my home run moment. It's just this weird line delivery that he does. It's when he walks up to Finch. He's like, I hate to tell you, but uh, Carla kind of blew your cover. Uh, so I understand you're in the spy game, huh? It's just like, that line delivery kills me. Just the way he says it, it's it's so funny. I just laugh at that so matter of factly, but so yeah. desperate to like try and talk to him on his own level, like yeah. in the spy game, like he's a construction worker. Or, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, oh yeah, you sell insurance? No, I'm in the spy game. Okay, nice try, Clint. What did you think was the funniest bit? I, I mean, we've already gone over it, yeah. but just the way John Ratzinger goes, ooh, the Riddler, the way he <laughs> says that is just so you – know, the, the line by itself is pretty funny, but he really wrings every drop of laugh out of it. Just there's something about the, the tone where he – I mean, we've all been there where we are supposed to be impressed by something we don't know. We don't know what it is. So we're pretending that we're like, whoa, the thing. And you're like, he has no idea what he's talking about. He's just making it up. And yet, the, he took the three initials and just did something sort of phonetically appropriating yeah. them. But did, yeah, it's great. It's it's amazing, yeah. So. Ah, oh, the ribble. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, uh, listeners, if you haven't already figured it out, if you haven't watched this episode, you better, because uh, it's really, really good. One of the stronger episodes, uh, not just of the first season, but of the entire series. It's a lot of fun. You could just listen to the audio and yeah. you would get it all. Yeah. You really don't need any visuals for this at all. By the way, how much longer are we people, are people going to be allowed to smoke in chairs? <laughs> I don't, I, I think, I don't think it lasts too much longer because he smokes in the bar in this one. I don't think we see too many more smokers after like the first or two second season that is a good question that's something i'll have to look for they finally phased it out people are like wait a minute we don't smoke here i mean the exception to the rule is the the finale the series finale right they're smoking the the cigars it's like after hours and everything it's right uh, right uh, that's a good question i'll have to look it it jumped out at me when i saw it i'm just like wow people are smoking in public places this really is 1982 Rebecca did it, but again, that was sort of part of her character was with her deconstruct, her destruction. Right, she was right, scared right. smoking, but yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll have to look for the, the customers and how long they do it. But. All right, Rob. Well, thank you very much for uh, coming back on the show. Where can people find you uh, online or in the podcastosphere? Well, same place you're finding Cheerscast, of course, fireandwaterpodcast.com. We're doing a bunch of shows, and I've really been enjoying Cheerscast, Ryan. I can say it's when it when it loads on Thursday mornings and I'm up for my run. It's the show I listen to on my on my uh, morning uh, run, so I've really been enjoying it. I'm glad you're doing it, and I think it's a nice companion piece to MASHcast because it's like those are the two – Yeah, I would say MASH and Cheers are like in the pantheon of the top five finest TV shows ever. So I'm glad that we were doing them like on similar tracks, and you're catching up to me. Because you're going faster than I'm going, so eventually I think you're going to pass me. Well, oh yeah, we'll we'll see, we'll see. I, I had a good lead time at the beginning of the of the <laughs> series. I, I, I banked a lot of episodes recorded before we started, so we'll we'll see how long I can keep up the pace. But hope so. 
So, uh, yeah, and thank you very much for saying that. But uh, thank you again for coming on the show. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. As always, you know you can support the show on Facebook and Twitter. You can leave a comment on the post at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Uh, and please, if you haven't done so, I, I haven't asked for this yet, but please go to iTunes and leave a nice, juicy five-star review uh, that would really help uh, more listeners find the show if I could get some more reviews. Um, I might actually hold a contest at some point to see if I can generate some more turnout and, and throw out some merchandise. Uh, I don't know if it'll be Cheers-related or something else, but uh, yeah, please. I, I won't beg for much, but give me some good reviews. Even if you don't like the show, just lie. It's really easy. <laughs> so, all right. As always, thank you, and until next time, we're closed. Ask me about my most exciting adventure. I think of Romania, 1973. Yes, I was captured by the dreaded RPB. Ooh, the Riddler. <laughs> They're every bit as fiendish as you've heard. They even use the infamous Twister on me, the devils. Wait, what's the Twister? It's a ride at Coney Island. <laughs> Those animals.